0: Okay, um, Parashat Vaera is the beginning of the Makot, meaning the real process of Yitzhia Mitzrayim in full action starts in va'ira and concludes really in Bo. It's a two parashot that it, where everything's focused, um, and there is a there are several strange paragraphs. Matter uh, somebody asked me about this yesterday about the this the odd. Um, seemingly uh, redundant paragraphs that exist here in the first one, the, one, the prologue to Yitzit Mitraim, which is the beginning of Vayirah, where uh, Moshe is again commanded to go to Paro, and Moshe again refuses, and Hashem then sends him with Aaron, and then we have this interruption of the whole lineage, uh, the whole genealogy that leads up to Levi and stops there, all very strange stuff. So question is, what's going on? So we'll take a look first at the difficult parasha, then we'll backtrack. Um, in, in the, about a third of the way through this week's parasha, This, by the way, is a fabulous line, and it's a repeat, in a sense, um, that Hashem says to Moshe, I'm making you a lord over paro, and Aaron will be your navi. So it's interesting that a man has a navi. So you're going to tell, I'm going to tell you, you will tell what I command, and Aaron will then tell Paro, and he'll send Bnei Israel out. Now, he's not going to send Bnei Israel out, but he's going to tell them to do that. This is the little marionette thing. In the meantime, I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to do lots of wonders and Mitzrayim. He won't help, he's not going to listen. It's all telegraphing. everything that's going to happen now. I'm going to smash them. I'm going to smack them up. say, I'm going to take my armies on Israel out with uh, with great judgments. They'll all know that I am Hashem. Good. Okay. Now, now, what does that mean? So it, it seems that this is a, a broad statement of saying, okay, Moshe and Aaron did all that. And if you leapfrog to the end of the narrative, Mitzrayim, it says that Moshe and Aaron did that. So it's got a, 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 a book, book ending, the whole story of the Makot. But the Makot don't start yet. Something else happens. And then we get this odd note, Moshe ben shmonim shana, v'yaron ben shaloshu shmonim shana, Abraham el paro. That Moshe and Aaron are standing in front of paro, and Moshe's 80 and Aaron's 83. What are need to know that for? And then the next passage is, Vayomra Adonai moshe ve'el aharon limor. Hashem speaks to both of them. Ki d'abraim l'chem paro LeMor, tun l'chem afot. Paro's going to say, let's see some tricks. Let's see some magic. V'ratah el you say to Aharon, Take the staff and throw it. whose staff unclear? And throw it in front of Paro. It'll turn into a serpent. They come. and Aaron throws the staff down, and the staff turns into a serpent, and the whole thing plays out. And then the the uh, we have the Dom starts and the makot start. Again, this parrot, this whole section seems to be extra. It seems to be extra in that, Mo, that Moshe is being told that Aaron is your spokesperson. We already have that at the SNAP. It seems to be extra in that, um, that um, Hashem speaks to Moshe and he's going to speak to Aaron and, and parlay the words further. We already have that. The notion that mention of how old they are seems to be superfluous. It, it, it's kind of strange, the, the, the entire passage. And then what gets stranger is before this, and this is out of order, before this, we have this genealogical insert. And the insert is interesting. These are the heads of the families. We get the Reuven families. Then we get them. And by the way, in none of those cases are we given any ages. And then we're told who Levi's kids are. So we have Reuben's kids, Shon's kid, Levi's kids. So far, it is, we expect the next Pasukas to be, Ubne Yehuda, et cetera. But instead, Ushne chayei Levi, how old is Levi? He lives to 137. Okay? Then we hear about bnei Gershon, and then we hear about bnei Kahat. So we're going through the families of Levi. And again, the only one that we got years, a span of years for, was Levi. And then Kahat's kids. That Kahat lived to be um, 133. So there's something strange here. First of all, we've been told about Reuven, Shimon, very quickly, like we had back in Vaigash, where we're told their kids' names. That's it, and now we're to, when it comes to Levi. Suddenly we're told how, how long Levi lived, and then we focus on one family, which is Bnei Kahat, because in there we find out how long Kahat lived. Then we Menem we dispense with Levi, and we figure we're going to go to Yehuda instead. Yomram married his aunt, because Amram is a grandchild of of Levi, and Yochemet, of course, is a daughter of Levi. So he marries his aunt. Uh, And who did she give birth to? Aaron and Moshe. All right. And again, we're given an age. So so far, we've gotten the age of Levi, then Kahat, then Amram. And then we're told the other children of Kahat, who their kids are, again, no ages. And then we're told that Aharon marries Elisheva, and he has four kids. And Tamar, and then we're told other members of God's family. And then we're told who Elazar marries. So we're going down generations. And then this whole genealogy ends with a seemingly simple phrase, which is not at all simple. Who Aharon Now, what is that doing there? So what that seems to be doing there is it seems to be explaining and justifying this entire section. Because if you look at the section, the first thing that strikes you as weird is what's it doing here at all? I already know who all the families are back from Vallegash. I got a full count of the families. I'm not being given any new information here because I'm told who, um, who Ruvane's kids are, the same list. I'm told who Shimon's kids are, the same list. I'm told there's Levy is, the same list. But then suddenly I see that this genealogy is not a genealogy per se, and it's not a table of families. It is identifying basically the lineage of Moshe and Aharon, Moshe and Aharon. And so it goes to Levi and it stops at Levi. Now you could ask, why didn't it just start with Levi and leave Rumen and Shimon out of it? So there's several explanations, one of which we're actually going to touch back on later on the Shiur. But Rumen, Shimon, and Levi are the three brothers who really get shafted at Yaakov's deathbed. So this seems to kind of bring them back into the fold. The second thing is that we're going in order, showing kavod to Ruvanj, kavod to Shimon, and Levi, but that's really, we want to get to Levi. It's clear that we're not interested in anybody else at this point. But the second thing is that this is all veiled for the purpose of getting us to Aharon and Moshe. Not to Moshe, to Aharon and Moshe. And so therefore, we have to know how long Levi lived, then we have to know how long Kahat lived, then we have to know how long Amram lived, which will give us a sense of the span of years of how long they were in Egypt. Now, of course, it doesn't tell us how long they were there, because we don't know how old Levi was when he gave birth to Kahat, and we don't know how old Kahat was when he gave birth to Amram, nor do we know how old Amram was when he gave birth to Aaron and Moshe. But it does give us some sort of a span of years of Mitzrayim. We don't care how long Reuven lived, or Akranit or even Merari, because we're looking at a single line that's going to take us to where we need to get to, and it sort of reminds us of the lineage. For instance, at the end of root, we say Ela told all so parrots, and then we have uh, Chetron, and then Ram, and Aminadav, and there's other brothers, but we don't care about them because we're really trying to get to David. So in the same way, we're trying to get to Aharon Umosheh. Now it's important that it's Aharon Umosheh. Who Aharon Umosheh? And here's the surprise, And I highlighted those two because they are essentially bookends around this phrase. These are the people that Hashem sent, these, not this, these are the people that Hashem sent to Paro, to out of Mitzrayim. Who are they? Aharon Moshe. Who are they? Moshe and Aharon. In other words, and Moshe in parody. And then, at the end, Hashem is only speaking to Moshe. So Hashem speaks to Moshe, but Moshe and Aaron together go to take them out. And now what happens? So with all of that buildup, Hashem speaks to Moshe and says, go to Paro and get him out. Right? I don't speak very well, whatever that may mean. We talked about it a couple years ago. How will Paro hear me? This whole piece is very odd. So, in order to understand it, we have to go back to the snap. Because it all starts at the snap. How did the snap play out? Hashem comes up to Moshe, and how does it start? Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to recap a lot of this Paul Pet. Hashem comes up to Moshe, I mean, Hashem appears, Moshe sees it, Moshe is captivated by the by the wild scene of the Snesha and by Bayeshvin and And Hashem speaks to him, and he says, I've seen the pain and affliction of my people. I'm going to go down. I'm going to take them out. At this point, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, why are you telling me? Hashem says, I'm going to take them out. And then the punchline is, now you go and you take them out. At which point, Moshe finally speaks up and says, no. And his no is made up of, I can't do it on my own. Hashem says, I'll be with you. I don't know your name. Tells you his name. They won't believe me that, I, that, you, that you came to me. I'll give you signs. I don't speak well. Who do you think gives you speech? And finally, Moshe pulls out his last card, which is send the one that you usually send. In other words, don't send me. He ran out of excuses. Hashem is going to be with him. Hashem He knows Hashem's name. He has Hashem's signs. And Hashem promises him, I'll, I'll take care of you. You'll speak well doesn't matter. I don't want to go. So what does Hashem say? This is where Aaron first comes into the story. This is the first time we meet Aaron. I know that he will speak or that he knows how to speak. He's coming to greet you and he's very happy to see you. Which may mean that even though, as we find out later, he's the older brother, he will not be put out of the fact that you're the one who's called for the mission. Maybe. is You speak to him, and he will, and put the words in his mouth. I'll be with you, I'll be with him, in your mouth. And I'll show you what to do. Which means, by the way, the, the assignment of Aharon, as Moshe's spokesperson, already happened in the Sanat. Why is it happening again? The answer is we have to look very carefully at the psukim. He will speak for you to the people. What was it that Moshe did not want to do? Moshe did not want to speak to Bnei Israel. Moshe was afraid to speak to Bnei Israel. She says they're going to ask me what, what my name is. They won't believe that you really appeared. He does not even address the issue of Paro. He addresses the addresses the issue of me. As the consummate outsider, I was ripped from the cradle as a youth and brought up in the Egyptian palace. And somewhere when I was in my teens or 20s, I ran away and I've been gone for all these years. And now I'm gonna come back. I can't speak to the people. Okay, I wanna come and speak to the people for you. That's as far as speaking to the people. Because remember, getting Bnei out of is a question of convincing two audiences. One audience is Paro, but the other audience is Ben Israel. you got to convince them that they're going to walk into the desert and there's really something they're waiting for them, that there's something that they're going to, that you're really their leader, that Hashem hasn't abandoned them, all of those things that you got to convince them of, and then you got to convince Paro to actually let them go. We forget about the first part because we put so much emphasis, especially at the Seder, we put so much emphasis on the interaction with Paro. And the text puts so much emphasis because starting after the first piece that we saw goes Makot, and Makot is all about Moshe against Paro. We forget there's also Moshe and the people. And that's what happens here. Okay, so now what happens right after the snack? Moshe comes back to Yitro and he says, I want to go see how my brothers are doing in Egypt. And Yitro says, Go ahead. And now by, what happens? HaShem speaks to Aaron. What does he tell him? Go out to the desert and meet Moshe. And he goes to Har They meet in Harsinai. Moshe tells Aaron, the words and the signs, these are all things to bring to whom? To B'nai Yisrael. So far it's going Yelach fine. They go together. By calls Israel. They gather the elders of B'nei Israel. By Daber Aharon, it calls very So Hashem said to Moshe, Tell them, I'm bring them out, Eretz Tovar Eretz etc. And he says that to Aaron. Aaron relays it to B'nei Israel. And Aharon does the otot. Aaron takes the stick and throws it on the ground. Aaron throws the water on the ground and turns to blood. By Am. And it worked. They believed it. So they believed, maybe as a result of the signs, but they also heard that that in other words, they're all ready to go. Okay, what happens next? Moshe and Aaron together come to Paro, but Moshe speaks. And Paro says, no way, I'm not going to let you go. And, And he turns to them and says, which means, Moshe took Aaron in with him, but Moshe was the one who spoke. Right? And um and, and he said, So what's happened as they leave uh, the palace? And you can see it's Moshe who spoke to, spoke alone, even though it says Vayimru, You'll see it's Moshe who spoke alone. As they leave the palace, they bump into the Jewish leaders who are enraged. Before you got here, we had a livable situation. Now it's unlivable. And what happens? Moshe alone approaches God and says, why are you making things worse? Why did you send me? Send me, me. Since I came to Parol, to speak in your name, things have gotten worse. You haven't saved anybody. Nothing's happened." Very difficult. So, what, what's what's the sequence of things going on? So to cap it off, before we take a look at this parsha and then go back to ours, Moshe is summoned by God to bring Bnei Israel to Mitzrayim, and there's two audiences he has to address. And the rest of the interaction between Hashem and Moshe is about one audience, and that is Bnei Israel. You're going to lead Bnei Israel. You got to convince him to go, etc. And Moshe says, "I can't." They won't believe me that I don't know your name, I don't have signs, whatever it is, I don't want to speak. And at that point, Aaron is assigned as Moshe's spokesperson to Bnei Israel, which makes all the sense in the world. Because where has Aaron been for the 83 years of his life? In Ibn Tzrayim. He's a member of Shevet Levi. He lives among Bnei Israel. He knows them. They know him. He's evidently connected to some sort of an important family, as we see by the Yichas. And so Aaron is a good spokesperson to Bnei Yisrael. And it works. And then Moshe goes in with Aaron, but Moshe speaks to Paro, and it fails. And now, what happens? Hashem appears to him at the beginning of this week's parasha. Hashem appears to him, and he says, "Go tell Bnei Israel." Says to Moshe, "Go tell Bnei Israel. I've seen what's happening. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to save you." The famous four lishonot. And what happens? By the ber Moshe came of Bnei Israel. Now Moshe speaks alone to Bnei Israel. Why? Because Moshe doesn't need Aaron anymore to speak to Bnei Israel because Moshe is established as bona fides. Right? And they don't hear Moshe. Not because he doesn't speak well, but because they're so tired. They're so upset. They're so frustrated. They can't hear any optimism. the So go talk to Paro. And Moshe says, If Bnei Israel won't listen to me, and they already know me, and they've already trusted me, and they won't listen to me, How can i go speak to paro right so what happens at this point we have this interjection at this point we have the lineage this is such a weird thing why is the lineage here because the lineage is there to establish the special nature not of moshe the special nature of Moshevi Aharon, and if you will, if you don't mind my saying so, perhaps even more, the special nature of Aharon. Who is Aharon? Aharon is the son of Amram, and he's the oldest son of Amram. And Amram is the important son of Kahat, and Kahat is the important son of Levi, and Levi is the important son of Yaakov. In other words, by I, singling them out and mentioning their lifespan, it singles them out as the special one. Not necessarily the best, but the special one. And there's a special lineage here. It goes all the way to Aaron. And by the way, you notice in this lineage, we hear about Aharon's wife and Aaron's brother in law and Aaron's four kids and Aaron's grandson and Aaron's daughter in law. Nothing about Moshe's family. Part of the reason is, of course, because Aaron's family is going to play a big role later in the nation and Moshe's won't. And part of it is because this is establishing Aharon and his special nature, his special position. And that's why the text says Hu Aharon Moshe? Hu Moshe And like Rashi points out, that Aharon and Moshe are really equal together. And now what happens is <clears throat> scroll down here. Is you see this in the Mechilta, in, in Parsha rachodesh Vaydaber Adonai Amoshev viel Aharon, bear it between them The Mechilta says Lama Nemar lefi Shomer vayumar Adonai Amoshev einataticha l'imufaroe. Right at Baybak, Hashem said, "I'm going to make you the Elohim of Paro, and Aaron will be your navi." That's the fix here. Ainli elamoshed dayan the Paro. All I know is that Moshe was the one judging Paro, rebuking Paro. Aaron Minayin. How do I know that Aaron was too? To modamar. Moshe Viala Haron. Hekish Aaron the Moshe. Aaron and Moshe are put on as a parallel. Ma Moshe, Ya Dayan the Parafarah, Ya Don Paro. Ma Moshe, Ya Omerd Vara Veloyare. Kronaya Just like Moshe spoke without fear, Aaron spoke without fear also. And we have several examples of this that the Midrashtan plays on. I might think whoever comes first in the text is more important. So what did it say? Moshe and Aaron, and Moshe. And they say, it's in the creation. So then the next, the Pasuk in Perpet says, the same thing you say is um, you might think Avram is the most important. Therefore, in Vayikra, it says, in other words, don't make the mistake of thinking that because someone's mentioned first, they're more important. And to make sure you don't make that mistake, the Torah is going to mention them in reverse order. And the same thing, and then, your parents aren't put on an equal footing. And we have an, another example of Kalev and Yehoshua also. Now, what's the point of this whole thing? The point of this whole exercise is that Moshe cannot successfully negotiate with Paro without Aharon playing a critical role, not standing by his side like a dummy, but playing a critical role. Moshe speaks, and Aharon is the one who speaks to Paro. And Moshe is the one who comes to Hashem and says, B'nai Yisrael, aren't listening to me. How will Paro listen to me? So what does Hashem say? Hashem says right here, Um, yeah, where I put it right here? There are the Hashem all around. But and commands Moshe and Aharon to go to Paro. And what happens now with Paro? Hashem speaks to Moshe. Moshe speaks to Aaron, and Aaron speaks to Paro. Why is that so critical? Why is this whole scene so critical? Why not just appoint Moshe and tell Moshe, listen, Moshe? I'm telling you to go, you got to go. And you go alone, and you talk to B'nai Yisrael, and I'll make sure they listen. And you go to Paro, and I'll make sure that after enough smacking him around, he'll listen. And you don't need Aaron. Why does Hashem concede Aharon in both cases? Why does Hashem confirm Moshe's refusals? So I'd like to make the following suggestion. Whenever you speak about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, you have to take into account that Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the culmination of a whole series of events that starts where? Does it start with B'rit Matarim? Does it start with Yaakov and Lavan, and Lavan switching the wives, and that's what led to the jealousy, etc.? Or does it start with the sale of Yosef? Did it start with the famine? Where do you put it? Does it start with Paro saying, then you can put it wherever you want to. But one thing that seems very clear, Hazal make this point clearly, and I spoke about it last week in the shear also, is that what directly led to us being slaves in Egypt, what directly led to us being in Egypt at all, was near fratricide, was the way that we treated each other, the way that the brothers treated Yosef. Rav says that in a very famous drasha. He said, A father should never favor one kid over the rest because of the simple coat that he favored Yosef with over the rest. One thing led to another, and we ended up as slaves in Egypt. Rav points the finger at Yaakov for, for, for bad fathering, and that's the reason that we ended up as slaves. Very powerful statement. But I wanna draw your attention to something broader in Braishi. You know, in Braishi, we have lots of brothers. And in many cases, the brothers don't get along or have to be separated. Kain and Hevel, Khan from Shem and Yefet, and then, of course, Yitzchak separated from Ishmael, famously Yaakov and Esav. Finally, we get to the Mishpucha. Yaakov's got 13 kids that we know of. He's got 12 sons. And how do the sons operate? So we, we famously look at Yosef, and they don't like Yosef. Okay. But I want you to notice what happens. Who picks the flowers and brings them to Leah? Ruven. Who offers to be the guarantor for Binyamin? Yehuda. There's only one place in all of Bresheet where brothers work together. And where's that? Where Shimon and Levi massacres. The only point at which brothers actually cooperate and work together on a common venture is something that's a very ugly scene scene that we don't want to think of. So on two levels, brotherhood is what got us into Egypt, lack of brotherhood. On one very overt level, it is the sale of Yosef. But perhaps on another more subtle level, it is the lack of brotherhood, the lack of an ability to work together in a common venture of settling the land, of conquering the land, of, of whatever it may be. We hear about brothers in the generic. Whenever we hear a name, it's always solo. And the only exception is Shimon V'Levi. And what happens on Yaakov's deathbed as a result? Shimon V'Levi Achim. Klei Hamas And they get reamed for their brotherly work. So therefore, what do we need to get out of Mitzrayim? The only way we're going to get out of Mitzrayim is if there are brothers who can work together. And how will the brothers work together? They can't work together by one the younger one, which is why we need to know their age, standing up there and leading everything, and the older one is standing by his side like a sidekick, they have to both contribute. And Moshe seems to understand that. So Moshe refuses to go alone because says, we can't redeem B'nai Yisrael from Mitzrayim by working alone. That's how we got in this mess. And therefore I demand that you send somebody with me, that's so why Hashem HaSid says, okay, not only am I going to send somebody, I'm going to send your brother. And you will work with your brother as teammates. Who Moshe vi Moshe. That beautiful brotherhood, that beautiful um, uh, uh, symbiosis of each person bringing their own talents, their own abilities, their own spiritual levels together to redeem Am Yisrael is what we needed to get out. And so the lineage that's brought in here, in the middle of this story, at the beginning of Vayera, is there to substantiate Aharon's position as a vital cog in the, in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And of course, the end result is that Aharon and Moshe end up playing roles as teammates in leadership, Moshe being the political prophetic leader, while Aharon is the spiritual kohanic leader, which then sets a model for the rest of history of the two branches of Jewish leadership. And that's what we needed in order to get out of Mitzrayim.